Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 11 this morning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 13. Title of my message is Teach Us to Pray. And of all the things that the disciples watched Jesus do, the only thing they ever asked him to teach them was how to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. And it's because they could see how often he prayed, and then they could see the public power in Jesus' life and ministry. And I want that. How about you? It seems like there's so much around us that is urgent that the Lord would have us to respond to. And yet we look at what's going on in the world, and I feel like there, there is so much. Lord, how do we even respond to what's happening in the world? We see all that is in the news with the, the school shootings, with war. If you're even watching things, it's, it's Matthew 24. War, famine, violence, uh, earthquakes around the world. Pay attention to things. But especially the chaos in communities with the shootings after shootings. And the media is asking Where is this coming from? How is this happening? And how do we respond to it? It's and different groups, different political parties have their answers. What I would give to you this morning is a reminder that the Bible gives to us Proverbs 1434. Write that verse down. Proverbs 1434. It says righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. Whenever there is a turning away from God in a country, a city, a community, a family, the natural outworking of that is chaos. I don't understand all the psychology and the sociology of it, but I know directly there is a correlation between righteousness being practiced and peace. And when a a country turns away from God and it really does come back to, this is what I do know when the church abdicates its responsibility to build up righteousness In the families, in the marriages, that affects the community that they are in. And there is a natural snowball effect. And this simply brings us back to what is our purpose of a church in a community? What is the purpose of any church in a community? And as I've said probably a hundred times before, The purpose of church is not to grow a bigger church. That's not why we're here is to promote our church and everybody else's church to say, we're the church. We're the church. We are a church. And in fact, we're part of the whole church in Albany, I believe. And though there may be many styles of ministry and all of that is great. There is one purpose. That purpose is to bring people into a relationship with Jesus Christ and make disciples. And what discipleship looks like is righteousness. It is individuals. It is marriages, 
families that begin to act godly. That is our whole job. If I week after week deliver the most amazing messages, and yet your lives are not conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, I have not done my job. We can be eloquent speakers. We can be amazing theologians and know so much history and doctrine. And yet, if your life is not becoming more conformed to being like Jesus, which is what a disciple is, then I'm not doing my job. And I don't mind asking, am I doing a good job? No, don't answer. <laughs> no, I do want to know the answer. And I ask our staff and leaders here, how am I? If had, I asked that question just this week. How am I doing? Because if I'm not doing a good job, I'm going to change something. Because I'm not here to yammer. I'm not here to hear my voice. I'm really not here for people to say, you know, all of those celebrity kinds of things. It's, it's just not what real ministry is. My reward is seeing your lives changed. Just yesterday, I performed a funeral for a man who was a board member of mine at Calvary Chapel, Portland for probably 20 years. And he's had health problems his whole life, a transplant uh, 10 years ago. Eventually, his health has failed, and he passed away just a few weeks ago when I was in Tennessee. His wife called me and said that Caesar had passed away. And so we did the funeral yesterday, the celebration of life, and so many people from my church that I had pastored over the years were there. And one man came to me who was my middle school pastor. Um, and I remembered when I first met him, it was probably 20 years ago and his wife and children were in the church. But all I knew about him was that he was an addict, that he was even violent toward his family. And eventually his wife kicked him out of the house and we prayed for him. And it didn't seem to be working. And suddenly there was one Saturday, I went in my backyard in Beaverton, raking leaves. I had a whole bunch of trees in my backyard and I'm raking up leaves. And this man comes walking around the corner of my house into my backyard. And I'm thinking, okay, I have a rake in my hand. What, what, I don't know what this guy's going to do. <laughs> I had no idea if he was there to beat me up or whatever. He came, he came around the corner kind of aggressively. He goes, Pastor Terry, I came here. I just want you to know that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. I thought, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and over the weeks and months and years, that marriage was restored. He plugged right into church. He was all, the Lord delivered him from from drugs right away. And I know that's not always the immediate case, but in his case, the Lord just took it away. He began to just grow in the in the Lord. He just loved God's word and would read it, read it, read it. 
he eventually became one of our pastors at church. It was amazing. Just an amazing story. And so that's my reward. And even today, he's leading a men's Bible study at a Calvary Chapel in Hillsboro. That, that, that is my reward. And I've seen it over and over again that lives are restored to the Lord, that behavior is changed, and that righteousness brought into the home begins to bless that home. Because now we're not making bad decisions. We're caring for one another. Righteousness exalts a family, a church, a city. But as Proverbs says, righteousness exalts a nation, which unrighteousness is a shame to this nation. The media is not going to say, well, the reason for all of this breakdown of our society is because we're not reading God's word anymore. Could you imagine if you ever heard that on the news? All right, people, let's start reading our Bibles. That's not going to happen. And it's not really their job. Guess what? It's my job. So I'm not the, the journalist or the politician. I'm the pastor. And I can remind you, well, I don't understand all of the the working out and the mystery of, of the things that are happening in politics and society, I do know the foundational principle that if you want your home to be blessed, you have to bring the Lord into your home as the center of your family. This is where you say amen. amen. So we're in Luke and one of the keys to this happening is learning to pray. It is learning to pray. Today, again, is Pentecost Sunday. It was a feast day in the Jewish calendar. And just as Jesus was crucified on Passover, you know that, a Jewish feast day, he also rose on the Feast of First Fruits which was the beginning of the barley harvest. He then appeared to the disciples over 40 days, giving them, as Luke says in Acts 1, many infallible proofs of his resurrection. He told the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. He said, which you have heard of me, it's in the book of Joel. The promise of the Father is the promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And he told them to wait in Jerusalem for this to happen. You're going to go make disciples, but don't go make a mess of things. Wait until you receive the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what they were doing in Acts 1 and 2. And it's in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit is poured out on also a Jewish feast day. The Feast of First Fruits, um, not First Fruits, uh, the Feast of Pentecost is the Greek name for the Jewish holiday. But Penta, 50, it's 50 days since the resurrection. It was all scheduled in God's timing. And be there, this is what's going to happen. Now, we're not waiting for the 50th day like something. There's only when one 
day that the Lord was crucified, rose, Pentecost. But this is available to you today. We're not waiting for a date on a calendar for something, something to happen today. If you will ask for God to fill you with the spirit, he will. And without that, there are many promises that you have made to God and not kept because you don't have the power to do it. I have done that over and over. God, I really mean it this time. And he goes, that's nice, Terry. But he knows I'm, I'm not going to keep a promise by my own strength. And so you come to that moment when you're tired of making promises and you finally do actually yield your life to the Lord. He's not withholding. He's waiting for you to be ready. And when you're ready and stop doinking around with your life, that's a Bible word, doinking around. I've read it somewhere in first flesh alonians. <laughs> the Old Testament picture of getting out of this place of frustration and moving into the work of the spirit is the children of Israel in the wilderness. God delivered them from slavery. That journey from Egypt to the promised land was only how many days of a walk? Do you know? 11 days. They got there. They didn't believe that God was able to do it. And so they stayed in the wilderness for how long? How long? 40 years. You know what they did for 40 years? They walked in circles. How does that sound like the Christian life? They walked in circles. And when the time was right, when they were ready, the older generation passed away. They moved into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, which is a picture of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Moving into God's promises. So. The basics, prayer and Bible reading. Prayer and Bible reading, you will see changes in your life. Luke 11, 1. Now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Prayer is not manifesting your power. Prayer is not tapping into the universe. Prayer is simply you coming into intimate fellowship with God. And because of that intimacy, it can be a little bit scary. You can pray in a way that's just rote. And in fact, religions pray, but they pray in a way that's distant from God. And it's just recited repetitious prayers. And as Jesus says, don't be, don't think that you'll be heard because of your repetitious prayers. That's not it. Prayer is just intimacy with God. It is simple conversation. The priority of prayer. As the disciple said, Lord, teach us to pray. 
is what the Lord wants us to learn is how important prayer is. Paul wrote to Timothy and he said in first Timothy two, therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for Kings and all who are in authority that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I desire first of all, that means make prayer a high priority in the church. This is a letter from pastor to pastor from Paul to his son in the faith, Timothy. James said in James five, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The disciples simply watched Jesus pray. And then they would see him go and cast out demons and heal. Second thing we learn is the pattern of prayer. And that's kind of what we see in the Lord's prayer. Verses two through four. He said, said to them, when you pray, say our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, it's, we say it's the Lord's prayer. It's really a model, an example of prayer. It has all the elements of prayer in it, but it's again, it's not to be taken as like this mantra. If I just pray this prayer over and over again, then I'm okay with God and I'll get what I need. They're learning to prayer to pray. They are students of prayer and they're going to begin with this and learn how to pray and then become more comfortable to pray in their own words. And and I think of this in all areas of life, you know, as a musician, I would copy exactly what others were doing. And then pretty soon I started doing it like it was my own. And then I would start improvising and, and writing my own musical parts. But there was always elements of what I learned from my teachers. They're the students start with this example of prayer. And as you do it, you're going to start to become more comfortable with with prayer. Now, the parts of this prayer are praise is the first one. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praise develops our relationship with our heavenly father. And it's really because that God is our father that we have the privilege of prayer. We're not praying to someone we don't have the right to approach. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. We've been adopted into the family. And because of that adoption, you have all the privileges of a child of God. And now you can say, Father. Many times I've talked to people in in cults. 
and they have this formality about prayer. And I will just point out that Jesus said to pray our father. And they say, oh, I don't, we don't pray like that. And I say, I know it's because you don't know God. But Jesus told his disciples who were born again to pray with familiarity. Our father, we have relationship. The very name of God means the becoming one. Jehovah or Yahweh means I'm becoming what you need. What do you need? God is saying. He watches us. He hears our prayer. And it's amazing how when God reveals himself in the Old Testament, he reveals himself according to the needs of the people. Jehovah Jireh means that God has become our provider. Jehovah Rapha, God has become our healer. And there's many names for God in the Old Testament, but they are connected with the needs of God's people. And so God is literally saying, I am what you need. What do you need? I am what you need. Jesus, Jehovah Hashua, God has become our salvation. When I have a problem, I'm worried about it. And the first thing I need to do is get my eyes off my problem and back onto the Lord. And then my problems get back into their perspective. And then I can find some peace even before the problem is fixed. Because my peace is in the Lord, not just fixes to my problems. Because there's plenty more problems to come. We learn also, secondly, the purpose of prayer. Jesus says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the purpose of prayer is not to get your will done as if God doesn't know what you want or what you need. So you've got to tell him. Nobody said amen. Now, God wants you to say what's on your mind, but it's not because he doesn't know. It's because as you're working it out with him, your heart begins to change and get in line with his heart. Now, there's always that teaching that is, well, whatever you ask God, he's going to give it to you. Have you heard people say that? Let me just tell you that if you ever hear a preacher say that, it is heresy. Now, we can always quote scriptures. Jesus did say, Matthew 21, 22, whatever you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Aha. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. And it's scriptures like this that preachers lift out and fabricate a whole theology around it. And here's a simple question. Who was Jesus talking to? Unbelievers or believers? It's not a hard question. He was talking to his disciples. What is a condition of being a disciple? Those who have already denied themselves, taken up their cross and following after Jesus. So those who have already done that, Jesus can say, Now, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to do it because now we're on the same page. 
Now we're like-minded. He didn't say that to the unbelievers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. And so you, once you have yielded your life to the Lord, you have every confidence to say, Lord, here's what I need. I'm asking in your name. Would you take care of it? Would you provide it? Now, we can still ask something that's not quite in God's will, right? And so we understand that if it's not in the Lord's will, we don't really want it answered, do we? Do we, kids? No, we don't want the Lord to do something outside of his will. So, you know, really good rule of thumb to remember that if we're persistently asking the Lord for something and he's not answering it, it's either no or not yet. If it's no, is no an answer? Yes. But sometimes the Lord is delaying because he's working out something better for you. And we have the confidence that our heavenly father loves us and is working all things according to your good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. John 15, seven, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. So there's the condition. There's, there's connection. There's abiding. We don't use that word abide. When was the last time you ever used the word abide? There is a similar word that you use every day, and that is the word connect. I can't, I can't do anything really without being connected to the Wi-Fi. If I'm suddenly not connected, I feel like I don't. I don't know where to get gas. I need to know where the nearest Starbucks is. I, I have a, you know, we have a question about something and we immediately look it up. We're connected. Jesus is saying, stay connected. And everything that you need is going to flow out of being connected with me. Abiding in me. 1 John 3, 22, whatever you ask and, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing to him. So right away, prayer and being in his word are automatically together and allowing the Lord to work in your life. A third part of prayer is petition. Give us this day our daily bread. Because the Lord wants to provide your daily needs. And we should ask for our daily needs. But Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, there's that word righteousness again, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
The unbeliever, the Bible says, essentially lives on the level of an animal. Did you know that? Unbelievers live for their bodily and their emotional needs. That's how my dog lives. What am I going to eat? Where am I going to sleep? When's my next treat? My own comforts. And the Bible very accurately says that unbelievers completely are driven for physical, material, emotional needs. You are not like an unbeliever. You've been brought into fellowship with God. So now what drives your life is not what am I get, what am I going to buy or eat? What drives our life and shapes everything is things on the level of the spirit, not the physical or the emotional. And we're all three of those body, soul, and spirit. The unbeliever lives for the emotional and the physical. You live for the spiritual. And the other things serve your fellowship with God. You see, without the Lord, what are you living for? In fact, you are ruled by your physical and emotional needs. But when you're born again, you're brought into fellowship with God, and you are now ruled by the things of the Spirit. You're not ruled by your bodily appetites or your emotional craziness. That's right. I said crazy out loud. Stop being emotionally crazy. That is how the world lives. Fourth is pardon. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Have you ever read that and thought, I don't like that? You can just say that out loud. I don't like that. I mean, did you read what that says? If you will not forgive others, God's not going to forgive you. I don't think that's right. Other people are so irritating. But I am so amazing. <laughs> I'm not going to explain it away or try and sound too profound. It's just a fact that Jesus says the very thing that might prevent God from forgiving you is your unforgiveness towards others. But doesn't God know how mean they were to you? Yeah, he does. So why isn't God crushing them? Why is God letting them get away with whatever they're getting away with? Well, for the same reason, he's so patient with you. Have you noticed how patient God is with you? I know it's because you're amazing. And they're not. God is gracious to them and to you. He's able to deal with them in a way that will be good for them. Maybe bring them to repentance. And if they never repent for anything they've done to you, 
then God has a way of dealing with them. Parents, you say to this to your kids, your kids are punching each other and he did this and he did this. And what do you say, moms? I'll take care of him. You worry about yourself. That's all the Lord is saying to you. I'll take care of them. You deal with having a right heart before me. Pardon. And in fact, our willingness to forgive others is proof that we are children of God. There's no getting around it. Don't say that you're a Christian and you are bitter and angry at everyone around you. It doesn't mean you don't have a right to be or a reason to be bitter toward people. But you're not the one to deal with it. God will deal with it. Let's get on with your life and let them suffer in their own problems. Your unforgiveness toward others, that bitterness will ruin your life. Do you know that? I believe absolutely there are so many even mental and emotional and even physical ailments that come into people's lives because of years of bitterness. So just ask the Lord to help you forgive others. Protection, number five, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Satan is looking for an opportunity. Again, if you are unforgiving toward others, you know that's, that's an opportunity for Satan to work in your life. And so let's just shut that door. Because the Lord's going to do some new things here. Verses five through eight, I'll just touch on this and see if we'll get back to it next week or not. He said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. But I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is your friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him many needs. Here's just a little parable, a little story that illustrates the importance of being persistent in prayer. There is just a funny story. This one, and actually the one that's coming up about it down in verse nine, he says, so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For everyone who seeks or asks receives, and he who seeks finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give, give, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, both of these stories are funny, and they almost 
seem to imply that you need to bug God until he gives you what you want. Both of these stories are a, an illustration of contrast. The Lord is simply saying, if your neighbor who doesn't want to help you will eventually give in and help you, how much more will your heavenly father help you? And then this, this father, if you being evil desire to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So the Lord's not saying, well, you better pester God until you get what you want. He's merely saying, look, God is way more generous than your neighbor or a father. So if you go to prayer and say, well, God's not going to answer my prayer, then you don't know the heart of your father. Your heavenly father wants you to come to him. He wants you to share what's on your mind, not because he doesn't already know. I already know what my, my grandkids want when they, when they walk in the room. Where's the chocolate? They don't need to tell me. Hi, Papa, what are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm playing Angry Birds. I'm watching TV. What are you doing? Nothing. Where's the chocolate? <laughs> oh, big shock. And I get home from a couple of days down here in, in Albany. I get home and I look and I have a chocolate drawer at my house. And it's suspiciously empty. <laughs> well, your grandkids were in it. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to the store and buy more chocolate. It annoys me a little bit because I want some chocolate. But if, if we're reluctant, but really want to bless our kids, how much more does your father want to bless you? I want you to get out of your mind that God's annoyed with you or reluctant to care for you or isn't interested. But everything that you need, your father is saying, ask me, ask me, ask me. And all those distractions of other people and injuries done to you. Let the Lord take care of those things and let Let's just get on with your life. And then others will be blessed by it. Your marriages, your families. Ultimately, that overflows from this church to this city. Righteousness exalts a family, a church, a community. Are you hearing me? Sometimes Pastors feel like they're just talking and talking, and I'm not sure if anybody's listening to me. So I'm just going to ask, do you hear me? Yes. The very basics of what I'm asking you to do is make prayer and Bible reading a priority in your life. And you're doing it in a way that you're connected with the Lord and say, Lord, help me to understand what I'm reading. Help me to apply this to my, my life. Help me to be nicer to my spouse. Help me to do better in this area. Help me not to be fearful 
or anxious all the time. Let's stand together and even as we close in a word of prayer, I believe it's important that you respond to the Lord.